John chapter 4. John chapter 4, starting in verse number 1. It says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of, land, of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest Ask, thou wouldest have asked of him that he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that an excitement and a zeal will fill this room as we look and take a deeper look into your earthly ministry, a ministry that superseded color lines, a, a, a ministry that was focused not on the elite of this world, but a ministry that was come to Seek and to save that which was lost. Lord, I pray that you give us this morning a, a holy fervor, a holy passion burdened for unbelievers. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this building under the sound of my voice lost and on their way to hell, that this morning you'll pour your spirit upon them and that they make no other decision this morning but to run to you. We give thanks to you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we begin our study in the fourth chapter. Last week as we came to a close in chapter 3, uh, John began to share with his followers basically his summarizing views of his personal testimony about Jesus Christ. In the closing part of chapter 3, he would go on to state that not only is Jesus from above, but he's truly above all, and that God hath given all things <coughs> in his hands. And as we close chapter 3, John the Baptist will now begin to fade from the pages of this gospel. But though the, the, though the chapter may have changed, 
John the Apostle's point has not changed about why he's writing this gospel. All of this is still written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. And being in remembrance of that be the entire point of this gospel will bring us to the understanding of what's happening here in John chapter 4. At the beginning of John chapter 3, we were confronted with a man by the name of Nicodemus. In the beginning of this gospel, we are, uh, we are encountered with this woman, a Samaritan woman whom Jesus meets at this well. And I want to take note this morning that I believe that John is trying to prove something here and bring understanding to the reader by presenting these two people in contrast. One was a man, the other was a woman, one was a Jew, the other is a Samaritan, the one is a respected ruler, the other one is a social outcast, one was so to say moral, the other one was immoral, one would question Jesus, the other would be questioned by Jesus, one would fade from the scene of scriptures, one would run and tell others. And as we see this, hear what I'm saying this morning, it doesn't matter where you find yourself this morning, Jesus is still the answer. You can be the outcast of society or you can be the elite of society. You are still in desperate need of Jesus. Jesus did not come 2,000 years ago to seek and to save the elite. According to the gospel of Luke, he said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. I wish that many of us would Focus in and, and have a ministry that we can see like Jesus. From chapter 3 to chapter 4, we begin to see that Jesus' ministry was beyond color lines. He didn't set out to uh, witness to a specific race. He witnessed to all. He didn't set out to witness to public officials. He witnessed to all. He didn't witness only to those who had good financial standards. He witnessed to all. What the gospel of John calls us to do is to not be impressed with the world, but be impressed with Jesus. Here we are. In our text, beyond color lines, beyond social standings, we see that verse number four says that he must needs go through Samaria. Now, I want you to understand at the beginning of this, this is not saying that this was the only possible geographical way for Jesus to get to Samaria. If you, if you take that as the interpretation, you've missed the beauty of the point. There were many other ways for Jews to get to, some, uh, to get to Galilee without going to Samaria. That's really what the beginning of chapter 4 points out to us in the first three verses, that he left the area of Judea and was headed to Galilee. But in verse 4, he must needs go through Samaria. Now, in order to really grasp a hold of what this text has to offer for us, you must first understand that the Jews loathed the Samaritans. They hated them. They had, matter of fact, 
it was such a, a custom to stay away from those who were Samaritans that they, the Jews believed that if you was to encounter a Samaritan, that you would have to go through a ceremonial time of cleansing before you could ever worship again in the temple. That's how much these people were disgraced in their society. And so, this is, so the custom was for the Jews to go around Samaria. In the Jewish person's eyes, the worst of the worst lived in Samaria. Uh, to be called a Samaritan was slanderous. Matter of fact, that the Lord allows us, when we get to John chapter 8 and 48, the Jews would set out to slander Jesus. And when they set out to slander Jesus, you know what they would call him? A Samaritan. But in return, our Lord, in a, in a masterful response to them, he would teach them a wonderful parable in which we call the Good Samaritan. He would tell them that there was a priest that would walk by this man who was injured, a, a Levite who would walk by this man who was injured. But along would come a Samaritan and give aid to those who are in need. Can you understand that Jesus is against customs of our day? He is against the cultural preferences of our day. While man looks down upon other races, Jesus embraces all. And as we move forward here, the Jews hated Samaritans. Now, I suppose you could get a historical lesson, but uh, Unbeknownst to me, Brother uh, Brandon read Jeremiah, which kind of pertains to this. That this was a time in which uh, if you, the Jews who remained behind and would intermarry with other Gentile nations who were, would be involved in other pagan nations, for the Jew, that was the most heinous crime you commit. Because for those who would intermarry in other Gentile cultures, it was that you was leaving Judaism behind. It was to say that you had left behind the God of your ancestors. And while others would avoid this place, we understand what the text says. And he must needs go through Samaria. This is not about geography. This is about our Lord recognizing the desperate need of sinners. I pray that this is our heart, that our soul will be the kind of soul that will go the distance and not look down upon people in society. But even more, he says here in verse 5, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. The first three verses where Jesus was located there in Judea to arrive at this place, many uh, commentators believe that this was a three-day journey. And after he had traveled three days, verse number six says, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. I mean... First, I want you to understand the volumes that verse number uh, six speaks to us. Verse number six, really, all the way to verse number 42 here in John chapter four. This is the scene. This is the setting in which all of this will unfold. First, we're introduced to the humanity of our Lord. Chapter 1, we see the amazingness of our Lord. We see his deity. We see that he is the living word. We see that even before time, 
he was. Yet as we move on into chapter 2, we see his miracles. We see him turning water into wine. We see him as this wise teacher who uh, fearlessly preaches the gospel to this rabbi named Nicodemus. In John chapter 4, we're brought to a, a deeper understanding of our Lord. Yet while he is 100% God, yet in verse number 6, we see he's also 100% man. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. He, he was tired. He had labored. His flesh was weak. Yet in the fullness of all deity, he was the Lord, and yet his flesh knew what it meant to be exhausted. His flesh knew what it meant to want to lay down. His flesh knew what it meant to, to desire rest. And as this narrative unfolds, understand it comes from a physically exhausted Lord. He's physically exhausted. Yet there is something that we need to understand here in our own personal lives. Ministry will take you to the edge. Ministry will push you to the point of exhaustion. Ministry will call you to go on when you feel like quitting. Ministry will at times in our physical world make you really want to pull your hair out. But oftentimes when we view how we're going to do ministry, we say, you know, we're going to share the gospel. But before we share the gospel, we're going to wait till the right day of the week. You know, Tuesday's the day in which we share the gospel. Even more, we look for ourselves to have the right amount of energy. Well, you know, I was going to share the gospel with them today, but... You know, to be honest with you, I was, I was just too tired. We're looking for the right element inside of us. Yet, as we look to the ministry of Jesus Christ, it is upon this physical exhaustion that he goes even further to tell the sinner of their desperate need of Christ. It often amazes me about Christians that we will go to a baseball game even if we're tired. We, we will go to our job even if we're tired. But when it comes to the things that Christ has called us to do, when it, called, when it comes to the ministry that he has placed us in, we will quit when we're tired. Yet we see here, the Lord knows our weaknesses. He knows our infirmities. And yet he places before us the example of even when you're exhausted in ministry, push on. Nowhere in scriptures do you read Paul telling to Timothy just to go ahead and call it quits, take a sabbatical. He says, press on, endure, keep going. And that is the message for each and every one of us. You know, it amazes me that in sports today, when you watch sports, you know, if an if a athlete plays when he's hurt, if an athlete gives it all he got and really plays his heart out, we say, you know what? He really deserves to be the MVP. You know what? He really deserves a raise. And while we think, we use our logic to think that someone who plays hard, someone who gives all, someone who keeps going even when they're facing ailments is amazing and that they're dedicated to their cause. We will not apply that same logic to our church going. We will not apply that same logic in our service. Well, today's just not the day 
Sorry, Lord. He was weary. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. He was weary. Understand we will never do great things for God until we have learned to serve God even when we're tired. Even more, our text says, now Jacob's well was there, therefore, Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. He was weary. I don't know about you, but this is a, uh, this is a great truth for me. I know what it means to be physically tired. Usually, when my day starts off, I labor great in the morning hours, but when I am fresh, I am tired, and at the evening part or at the last part of the day, it seems like the first four hours go by fast, and the last four hours seem like eight hours because you're tired, you're weary. A couple weeks ago, I was talking to the church about in Sunday school, me and James Stanton went and chopped this tree up. I don't know what we was thinking. But at so, halfway through this situation, we had become so physically exhausted that we were two grown men giggling. I, I, when it was time to take a break, we sat down and I refused to face the tree lest I even become more discouraged. But after we sat there for a few minutes, we got back to work and finished the tree up. You know, even though I was physically exhausted, never in my mind did it ever, that exhaustion ever lead me to a place where I thought for a second that that tree was no longer my responsibility. In ministry, you're going to face exhaustion. But just because you're exhausted, doesn't give you the right to remove your responsibilities. It doesn't give you the right to say, listen, this is no longer my job. I don't have to do this because of where I physically stand. Ministry is hard work. And nevertheless, though it's hard work, it's also your work. Even more, verse 7 gives us insight into breaking barriers. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. Here our text explains that not only is the Lord having an encounter with a Samaritan, but there's something strange about this encounter. You see it in verse number six, at the end of verse number six, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. Most of you guys know that Caleb is doing landscaping and lawn care, but last year when the heat of summer came, there were several days when he would come home faint, ready to pass out, coming in the house drinking water, and would just lay down in one position for hours. After he would get his rest and would come upstairs, I would begin to remind him, son, you need to be at the first job of the day at 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the morning. The reason was not 
only because I wanted him to be punctual. It was because I was trying to teach him you ought not be out working in the hottest part of the day. It's bad for you. It's physically exhausting. It harms you. It's not a good practice. And yet what we see before us here is that this lady, and it was about the sixth hour, meaning it's the hottest part of the day. It's high noon. And yet custom says that it was customary for the women early in the morning to come to the well and draw their water. Yet not only do we find that not to be this lady, this lady's case, she was uncustomary, that she came to the well at the sixth hour. Now, Scripture will go on to tell us that not only in Jewish society would this lady be an outcast, but in Samaritan society, she was an outcast. It would go on to see... Uh, in John chapter 4, and Lord willing, we'll cover next week, she was adulterous. The Lord would tell her, listen, you've had five husbands, and the one you have right now is not your husband. She was an outcast of the society in which she lived, and she, she came at the sixth hour, so no one would be there to mock her. She came at the sixth hour, so no one would be there to ridicule her. And on this day, she found herself meeting Jesus at the well. And he knew her ethnicity, and he knew her condition, and yet he asked her for a drink. I mean, I fear that oftentimes that as we are, uh, as we see there, people here standing in front of us, meaning... As we read verses 6 and 7, Jesus knows this lady is an outcast. He knows what her ethnicity is, and yet he proceeds to engage her. I fear that oftentimes that we don't have the same boldness about us in our lives. That we out in society and we see people who maybe are downtrodden because of a life of drugs. We see people who maybe wear clothes that indicate to us that they have their own faith, or we see people who buy their clothes, it indicates us to indicates to us that they're homeless. And we make a detour. We we change up. We say, you know what? They have their faith. I don't want to really get into a confrontation. I don't I don't really want to get into debate. Uh, I'm going to find somebody else. And yet what we see of our Lord is that he came to the, the lowest of the low in society. We, we have to be careful as we mimic the ministry of Christ that we don't pick the people who we want to be a part of the Witten Place Baptist Church and we go to the people who the Lord gives us the opportunity to engage with. Hear me now, this woman had the faith of the people she lived amongst, and yet the Lord did not make a detour. There are times when I'm out and I will see people and wonder, do they know the Lord? There are times that I'm out and I'll see people and say, I wonder if, if they're serving God. But in the same breath, I think that we have the wrong perspective at time when we see people who are living a life of drugs, when we see people whose clothes indicate that they're a part of another faith, when we see people who are down and out, really, in those essence, in those very moments, this is a clear indicator that these people are in desperate need of Jesus. 
There's no reason to be curious about where they are. They need the Lord. The question isn't, are not, the question is not, are they in bondage? It's what are you going to do to help deliver them from bondage? I love our Lord's approach in breaking through. The first thing he does is establishes a common ground. Understand, when he establishes the common ground, though this lady is of a different ethnicity, he understands that there's only one race, that's the human race, and even further understand this, that the human body functions the same for everybody. He asks this lady, give me drink. On this day, this woman knew what it meant to thirst, but she only knew, she, she did not only know what it meant to thirst physically, but she knew what it meant to thirst spiritually. By her life, you could see that this lady was struggling to find happiness. She was struggling to find a completion, meaning in this life. Verse number nine says, then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou, being a Jew, askest Drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. This woman was amazed at what happened here. And by the way, you can really see how uncustomary it was for the Jews to interact with the Samaritans by this verse. Even more in verse number 27, when the apostles would return back, Scripture says that they marveled that Jesus even spoke to her. Yet the Lord gives a simple request, give me drink. Now on the onset to this, you could say that it was amazing that the Lord would break through the barriers and say, give me drink. But really, in this woman's response, you can see and understand the true hatred that Jews had for Samaritans. Why? Because in Jewish custom, even in the Samaritan's custom, men did not speak to women in public. Even more, men didn't even speak to their own wives in public. Even more, rabbis would walk away from people who were considered of ill repute. Rabbis would have no dealings with people who were immoral. And in understanding all of those things, though they didn't talk to women in public, though teachers would not communicate with women of ill repute, the woman is not amazed at those things. What shocks her the most is that a Jew would talk to a Samaritan. Not that he's broke custom in any other way. I mean, I think it really grabs a hold of the true hatred between the two groups. She says, in effect, do you know who... I am, and Jesus turns the tables and says, do you know who I am? In verse number 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. The Lord turns the table and, and when she was amazed, that he would ask her, he turns the table again to, uh, uh, on her and begins to speak of her thirst. He begins to speak to her about her unsatisfied life and how she thirsts. Now, her, she, her, this lady still being confused about Jesus speaking of the physical says in verse 11 and 12, the woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. 
From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? She was confused. Not only was she confused, that, but she was skeptical. How are you able to give me living water? I mean, first off, you don't even have nothing to draw with. Second of all, are you standing here testifying today that you're greater than our father Jacob? Or are you greater than our revered ancestor? I mean, our, even our revered ancestor Jacob could not provide water for us without digging this well. And here you have nothing to draw with, and you're telling me you're going to provide me living water? You have nothing for me, is what the woman's mindset was saying. But little did she know, little did this woman know that she had fully misunderstood that the well of living water was not down in the bottom of that well, but it was standing right in front of her. The well was sitting right in front of her. And the second part of her misunderstanding was that Jesus is indeed greater than her father, Jacob. Listen close this morning. And I'm going to come to a close in this and we'll pick it up next week as we begin to talk about him crossing color lines. And we'll see this as it picks up next week in the aspect of worship. But I guess the first 12 verses really hit me in this manner. Are you willing to cross color are you willing to cross comfort lines? Are you willing to speak to people at work and cross and break up that comfortable area and, and encounter them in an area that they have a desperate need of? Are you willing to be looked down upon others in this world so that you can Take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who desperately need it? Are you the kind of person who's satisfied staying, so to say, in your comfort zone? If that's you this morning, understand what the ministry of Jesus Christ teaches us. First, understand ministry calls you to leave your comfort zones. Secondly, understand that there are people who are spiritually thirsty out there. Thirdly, it causes us, it calls us to be reminded that if we're willing to be exhausted for a sports event, we ought to be willing to be exhausted for the ministry of Jesus Christ in which we're called into. We ought to be willing to go the extra mile, not for ourselves, not to be labeled the MVP not to receive the most notoriety in the church. Remember, Christ didn't do any of that. He did it for one reason. There was a woman who he was going to encounter at the well who was in desperate need of Jesus. Desperate need of him. That's why we push. That's why we keep going. That's why we break through these 
areas in our life where we're comfortable. This is why we have to try hard even when we're weak, not because of us, but because of them. And they're never going to understand what they desperately need unless they hear the message from God's people. Ministry is hard work. Ministry was happy. Ministry, I've never felt like a failure at something I've never tried. Ministry at times will make you feel like you failed, like you've messed up. But you know what? That's ministry. But nowhere in the word of God do we see Paul or any of the other apostles saying, hey, you know what? Because it's exhausting, because it's really wore you out, because you're feeling weak, because of your physical ailment, because of this, because of that, you should just hang it up. No. Keep going. Keep pressing. That's the first thing we see in John chapter 4 about the ministry of Jesus, is that he'll take the gospel to whoever he can, no matter who, how society claims them, not how, no matter how society views them, no matter if the world says, ooh, you know they've got issues. We all got issues. <laughs> and we all need Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord. I, our hearts are heavy, Lord, as we think about uh, Sister Stacy, Lord, and her situation, Lord. But I pray that even this morning, that you'll be with her, the great physician that you are, Lord. Bless her, heal her, be with her husband, be with uh, Sister Sherry and her kids during this time. Lord, we thank you, thank you, thank you for the opportunity to be in your word. We thank you for the opportunity to see your ministry. And Lord, I pray that you'll put in our hearts a desire to model our ministry after you. Lord, I pray that you'll strengthen us, that we don't quit. Lord, I pray that you'll strengthen us, that we'll have wisdom about how to move at times, Lord. Lord, I pray that you'll give us wisdom about seeing doors, seeing people in our workplaces, seeing people in the checkout line, seeing people walk in the streets, our neighbors, Lord. I pray that you'll give us a holy fire, a boldness to... Seek them so that they may see you. Lord, we give thanks to you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen.